This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Your weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Chris Kimball, who presides over, we now call it his food empire, Milk Street, has a brand new book called Simple. And I actually, I have the book sitting in front of me. I love the book. I love the recipes. It makes me want to cook. And for example, I was looking for pizza. I don't know why, but I was. And right there in the beginning, he had a pan pizza with tomatoes and mozzarella. Could not be easier, look more delicious, easy ingredients. And the book is filled with things like that. So I'm very happy to have Chris as my guest today. He's got so much going on. He's got an Emmy award-winning TV show, public TV show. The James Beard won for the bi-monthly magazine. Podcasts, radio, cookbooks, you name it, he does it. And how, how did this happen to you? Was it Vermont that did it? <laughs> I, that's a great question. No one's ever asked me that. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's because I uh, continue, just like you, I, we both want to continue to be useful, right? So I, I don't know what else to do uh, except to do what I'm doing because I just love food and I love talking about food and writing about food. So, you know, that's what else would I do when I get up in the morning, you know? I don't know. Eat breakfast, probably, but not enough to keep you going. And where was your household, a foodie household? I grew up and, you know, food was a big deal. Every meal was important. What about well, you? Well, it was the best of times, the worst of times. My mother was a terrible cook. She thought that she was into organic gardening, so she would bring in her carrots and this and the other thing, and she she'd microwave them, you know, or something. Aye, so yeah. it was pretty dreadful. But for a while, we actually had a cook because both my parents worked in New York, and um, she she was actually amazing. Good. So, uh, and then in Vermont, uh, I spent, as you know, a lot of time on a small farm up there, and not my farm, somebody else's. And, you know, I I was taught how to bake by the local person, and the, you know, the food was pot roast and baking powder biscuits and molasses cookies, but <clears throat> that's really what got me interested in food was the the, the 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 importance of food in that small community. Right. Yeah. No. And I also had a um, farm in rural Vermont. I think we've talked about it, Brookline. Yeah. 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 Uh, which was a little town, and again, food was so important. No matter who you are, whether you could cook or not, it, it was set the center of so many local people's lives. Yeah, it was interesting. It, it was, and, and the volunteer fire department has their chicken and biscuit dinners and everything. Right. Else. 
<clears throat> but people don't sit around and talk about it. That's what's interesting, like you and I do. They um, they eat it. You know? Yeah, they, uh, and they cook it and they eat it. They cook it and they eat it, and it's really important. But they're talking about the weather or they're talking about somebody's cow or they're talking about, you know, how much milk they're getting per day at the dairy. They're not talking about dinner last night. It doesn't mean it's not important. It just means that they just don't have a – it's just not part of the culture. Right. And my town didn't even have a supermarket within range. You know, it was some trip just to go to the market, but they yeah. had a little general store that's the way where, yeah. yeah, right. And everyone bought almost everything there. And yeah. maybe once a month, they'd make that trek to a market, which was in a much bigger town. But we yeah. were all into it. And we almost everyone I knew had gardens that were not decorative, but for um, no. to feed everyone. Yeah, we uh, my house is actually right next to the general store, uh, Sherman's. And uh, that's the only store in town. It's 900 people. And, yeah. uh, you know, people buy a lot of their their stuff there. Um, but, you know, occasionally people will go down to Bennington or some other town to Price Chopper, you know, uh-huh. once a month. Yeah, that, but, big time. <laughs> yeah, big time. But that's what they do on Friday night. But, uh, no, I, I would say a lot of my neighbors, 80% or more of what they eat, they catch, shoot, uh, put up, freeze, can themselves and you're right the gardens are not decorative they're there you know for the potatoes and the tomatoes and that's what they'll be eating all winter you know when we first moved there what did um, we know nothing about you know farming or a field to table and i remember when the deer i used to think was so adorable and i would put salt licks out for the deer to the absolute horror of my right. neighbors. Like, you're inviting them into your garden? And that's sort of what it was. Do you still live like that? Uh, not really. I mean, we're in Cambridge most of the time. I'm in Vermont part of the time. Um, I have a little cabin on a mountain. Um, where I, I do go hunting in the fall, like I will be going up in a couple of weeks for a while to deer hunting. <clears throat> so, yeah, some of it, but it, I, and I hang out with my friends like that. But you know, I live essentially in Boston most of the time, so I can't I can't claim to be living a frugal life because it's not frugal. No, but, but... That, that's my. I'm never going to retire, but if I had a choice about it, that's that's how I would live. Um, but we all don't get to do everything we want. Right, but close enough. And where did simple come from? Well, I think uh, what's what's really struck me in the last seven or eight years of doing Milk Street is that other, and we've talked about this, other cultures have a very different view of cooking. <clears throat> and just to boil it down to the core, it's that they combine flavors and ingredients in a different way than, let's say, Julia Child would, right? Uh, and so the cooking itself is not complicated. It's just the combinations of things. So if you have spices and fermented sauces like soy sauce or fish sauce or you have chilies, you have all these other things, uh, the cooking itself becomes much more simple. It's just what you're putting with what. And that that's that's the key. And I think other cultures have a much more 
varied and expansive view of cooking than, let's say, we do, either English cooking or French cooking or whatever, you know, was the basis of my training years ago. It's better or worse. It's just very different. But it's simpler. The the concepts are simpler. It's not not beef bourguignon, you know. Right. and well, although that's not quite fair because the French also do a lot of simple things too, but <clears throat> it's not a lot of heat and a lot of time and a lot of technique, which is I think French. It's more, oh, okay, I'll I'll put this spice, these cumin and cinnamon, and I'll put this with something else, and then we'll have something in ten minutes, you know, because the ingredients are doing most of the work for you. I'm talking to Chris Campbell of Milk Street fame. His latest is called Simple, and it's got recipes to really get you through the week, and it, it they make a big difference, incredibly helpful. So at what stage, Chris, did you turn your passion for food into a living? Uh, 1979, when I started, uh, when I was 28, I started working on uh, Cook's Magazine, <clears throat> and I went down to see Jim Beard, I remember, on uh, 12th Street, and uh-huh. he was helpful, and I met Julie and some other people, and I launched in the spring of 1980, uh, knowing, I mean, I, I did cook a lot, but I, I was not a, as Julia liked to point out to me, I, I never got training in France. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I didn't know much about publishing. I didn't really know what I was doing. I just wanted a magazine about cooking, not eating. Um, and that's how I got started. And then I just learned, you know, by doing over a long period of time. And now are you cooking a lot? I know you yeah, travel I, I all over. People, I travel. I just got back from Romania, uh, which was fascinating. Transylvania, actually. The Carpathian Mountains. And the wow. food's fascinating. Well, what's interesting there is that uh, there's a lot of small Saxon villages, which essentially means German. And uh, there are about 250 of them. And uh, they still have gardens. They still put up a lot of their food, and they still use horses more than tractors. And so the food is phenomenal. Like, they do a lot of soups, chorba, they call them. Um, But there's just great food there, and and you spend time with these people. And it's just, again, it's a whole different way of thinking about cooking. Uh, Yeah, I bet. So in your family, are most meals home-cooked? Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, during the week, everyone who works here at Milk Street in the kitchen, I'm tasting all day. We we don't eat much dinner because I'm eating 20 things a day. So occasionally I'll cook during the week, but I do cook a lot on weekends. I mean, Sunday is Saturday afternoon and Sunday are my cooking days, and I I do spend a lot of time cooking then. But, you know, (laughs) we go through a lot of calories here from 9 in the morning to 5 at night, so... um, there's a lot of cooking going on here, but um, when everybody gets home, we just – I'd rather have an old-fashioned sometimes than, than dinner. Right, and just relax a little bit. And Yeah, I still a, have two young kids at home, so th- that do doesn't happen eat? too much. Do they like to um, eat? <clears throat> to be honest with you, I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. Forget it. And <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll tell you, Sunday I made homemade chicken soup. I just had some chicken and threw it together. And it was good. You know, it was really good. And uh, I gave some to my four-year-old, and she does, She saw the onion pieces floating in the broth. And she then distributed the entire bowl of soup all over the kitchen floor. So 
if that gives you some idea of the challenge, um, which I was not happy about. Um, right. But yeah, sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. But it changes. You know, it does. It I, does change. I have older kids as well, and uh, they. One of them is actually a great baker. He used to run a little baking business, and so yeah, it does change. Well, they they take after their dad, and they like it. I have a a twelve year, eleven year old granddaughter, who was like, I'll only eat things that are white. You know, went through yeah, that yeah. stage. Yes. And now. She says, I want to be a restaurant critic. I said, well, then you have to vary the color of your diet yes. you know, to get all those things. So that's making some impression. But it's a matter of just getting them to taste it, which um, they do. Now she's insulted if someone gives her a children's menu, you know, in a restaurant. Well, there you go. That's a, that's a step up. That's good. Right? It, that's right. It, it's starting to happen where she's finding food as an adventure. And Yeah, I, I think as a parent, you know, I, I've been doing, I have six kids. I've been doing it a long time. I used to be worried about getting them to do this and that and the other thing. At this point, I'm like, look. Forget if, it. <laughs> yeah. If, I mean, look, if you want to eat this stuff, fine. If not, you can have some fruit or whatever. But I'm not going to force you to eat anything. And someday, hopefully, you'll ingest all of this, you know, just by being around it. But maybe you won't. I don't know. It's Maybe it's just all in the DNA. Who knows? Well, maybe. But I, I think a lot of it is if people, not you necessarily because you're in the world of food, but really sit down to a family dinner. It doesn't have to be complicated. It can be anything. No. But I agree. meal becomes very important yeah. and and a form of communication. But if you're just going to, you know, say to the kids, are you hungry and throw something, you know, on no. the kitchen counter, you're not you may not have the same kind of luck in getting them to try things or making food pleasurable. Or or if they sit down to dinner and they start watching SpongeBob SquarePants, forget which it, right? <laughs> I think is like. Sort of the end of civilization. I mean, it's not a bad show. Kind of, I like the show, but I mean, not at dinner time, please. I know. Yeah, we still want to have that. So, do you find that there, through all your magazines and shows, that there is a return to interest in oh, cooking? Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, you and I, you and I remember the '80s. Remember when everyone was saying cooking was dead and. Right. There weren't people sitting around the house because everybody had a job and, you know, latchkey kids and this and the other thing. Well, it's come back with a vengeance. I mean, everybody's interested in cooking now compared to then. And, um, I mean, there are different subgroups of people and what they want to cook and how they want to cook. You know, the kitchen has become a really interesting place in the last 10 or 15 years, right? <clears throat> you know, a friend of mine said, once she started, she used to work here, and she said, you know, making the Mill Street recipes. She said her, her whole approach to the kitchen, she she enjoys it. She has her friends there. <clears throat> it's more exciting. It's just she views the kitchen as a different room than she did before. And I think that's what's happening. The kitchen itself is, has become the room, you know, as opposed to a living room or some other room. And so, yeah, I, th I think it has. And 
there's all there's a lot of reasons for it. Some people do it because they want to control where the food comes from. People do it for health reasons. People do it because they just love to cook. You know, whatever. As, as long as you're in the kitchen, I don't care why. Right, but it's it's also a form of reaching out if you've got a yeah. family, yes. uh, to the family, and to really make it work. It doesn't yeah. have to be, you know, the most complicated as you say, simple. It can be as simple as can be. And also, you know, when I was uh, getting involved with food and the kitchen and everything else, it was, we didn't think about putting everything on a, a baking sheet, you know, and putting it in the oven or, it's so easy and it looks so good. Do you do a lot of that sheet cooking? Yeah, tray bakes. <clears throat> yeah, tray yeah. bakes are good. I like tray bakes. I like, I, I, lo- I use rice bowls a lot or grain bowls or noodles. I mean, I, I like a base of something and then I can add something on top or I can mix something in. And I find I find that is extremely useful. Like beans, rice, pasta, anything that uh, grains in particular. You toast the grains a little bit first before you cook them uh, with some oil. And I, I find that that you can do a thousand different things with. And then you can open the fridge and you know see what you've got. I mean, the, the greatest thing about cooking is once you get some. And Julia was able to do this, right? She had these formulas in her head. Once once you get a basic concept down. Then you can cook out of your fridge or out of your pantry, right? I mean, that's that's what you really want to end up being able to do or, or what's good in the marketplace. Instead of having a shopping list and buying something specific, you can come back with what looked good and then make dinner out of that. Right, and, and do that. So if yeah. you have time and it's not work involved, what do you like to eat the most? Um, I, I like things, I like dishes, whether it's a stir fry, a soup, a stew, whatever, that has a really interesting mix of flavors so that on the 10th bite, you're still going, gee, that's kind of interesting, right? So I, I like multi-layered foods, whether that's the combination of spices or it's got lemongrass in it or it's got, you know, it's got uh, soy sauce or fish sauce in it. It's got something sweet, something sour. Uh, you know, in Romania, they, as I said, they make these soups called chorba, and they're slightly sour. They, they ferment millet and put a little bit of that liquid in. Just there's just a hint of it, and I find that so interesting because you have you have the meat or you have the vegetables, whatever it is. You have something maybe a little sweet, something a little caramelized, and then you have oh, that little undercurrent good. of sour, and, and that's what I like. I like it when you have something unexpected and you go, yeah, that's you know that was great. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's that sounds like a special treat, and I've been making a lot of soups as meals, and yeah. I mean the minute it gets cold, that's what I feel like doing. So, I remember my mother never used to throw any leftovers out, and she would make something out of them. They never went into the garbage, you know. They were always a soup, a pot pie, a casserole, or something. And I've been saving all that stuff, and I'll make a big soup and let it cook forever. And everyone seems to love it. So. Well, in Vermont, I, I, there was a neighbor who died many years ago, but she moved up in the '60s, I think. They were they came from New York. They were hippies, and 
um, you know, they lived in a really rough, primitive house. But she used to make compost soup. So she'd take every day everything that was left over and throw it in the pot. And, and this went on and on and on and on for weeks. So she it was like, she might have something in there from two weeks ago. So that became her, that was her famous recipe, compost soup. So, That's so sometimes funny. it was good and sometimes it wasn't that good. Oh my gosh. Well, that was Vermont. My neighbor was in love with Morgan horses. So yep. what she brought into her house and we didn't invite her to ours because we weren't as good natured as she was. She would bring the Morgan horses in the house, into the living room, into the kitchen, and she would just, you know, put a lead on them and bring them in and very happy to have their company. And, you know, to, to each his own. But the Vermont years, we all loved. We still talk about them and reminisce about how lovely it was and you know all the neighbors and the animals and yeah. it was it was just a different time and everyone did cook because it was so far for us to go to the real mark you know if you needed a lot of stuff so we well and always... the thing about it the thing about vermont and other small towns around the country that is, is nice is they seem in a nice way to be a little cut off from all of the social media and all the news and all the things that I think are just overwhelming to all of us, right? And and they're still focused on what people used to be focused on, which we've talked about, family, community, et cetera. It's not perfect. I mean, there are bad people in every place and there are concerns and other things, but I, I think it's, it is a simpler life, as corny as that sounds. But I, I think it's easier to manage um, that kind of life in many ways. I find it really appealing. No, without question. My neighbor, Uncle George Ware, who was actually born in my house, which was an old brick farmhouse, one of the few brick houses in southern Vermont, going back so many years. But Uncle George insisted on teaching me how to make things grow. You know, if you can grow it, you'll never be hungry. And I ended up with a two-acre vegetable garden. And when I, uh, who could possibly do that? We weren't that huge a family. I would literally take it to Mountain Mowing Higgins Farm and sell it. And I was yeah. so proud of myself that like, I'm like a farmer. It was a thrill. With well, my, my mother that. used to have a large garden. She gardened all her life, and she had big gardens. But they were, I always call them the Darwin Gardens because they were survival of the fittest. Yeah. So she'd plant everything in May and June, and she would never hoe it or tend to it. she just let it go. And she plants so much of it, like she plant, plant like 50 tomato plants. Wow. Well, 10 or 15 of them would sort of survive on their own. And so when harvest time came, she would just, pick whatever made it but that was her you know she she didn't like going out every night and weeding so yeah that i didn't either yeah. but it's you have to do it to a certain you extent gotta do it. Yeah. i know but you still have your garden right no i i haven't had a garden in a while because i'm not up there enough you know i'm not there every weekend i'm there like every other weekend but next uh -huh. summer i'm i can't stand it i need to start a garden again so i'm gonna i do it well 
I do grow a lot of food for the deer. I do food plots, but that's <laughs> I'm planting turnips and rye and you know that kind of forage. But I'm, I am going to do a garden uh, behind my house next summer, and uh, you know just some a few basics. But the things I miss the most are, you know, I haven't had a good tomato. I travel a lot, and everyone says they have good tomatoes, but it's not. I haven't had a good tomato in 20 years, so I, I need to start growing tomatoes again. And on your travels, do you see any trends or you see something that is becoming a way of life? You travel everywhere, not only in America. Yes, I do. Uh, some places like I was in Umbria in Italy this summer. You know, Italy's a place where in Rome, if you say, where can you get good Thai food? They kind of look at you funny. They, 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 do, they do their food. But if you look at other places like Paris, they're definitely going back and redoing bistro food. That's that's cool. Romania, because they ended communism in the late 80s, where they, it was very hard to get ingredients. They're now definitely going back and rethinking and redoing their, their history through their food. So I, I see food being a way of cultural reconnecting in a world where people, I think, want to go backwards a little bit, not forwards. So I see that almost everywhere I go. They're they're going back to their bistro food. They're going back to their old soups. They're going back to their old, you know, the fried dough, whatever it is. They they want to go back to their roots, and their roots really are connected through food. Yeah, and it makes such a difference, too. It's also a very good way of meeting people if you're a good traveler, you know, and will take a chance. Well, you know, I've never met somebody in all my travels who wasn't happy to have me sit down at their table to share their food, share their recipes, share their stories. And most of the time I don't even speak, you know, I don't speak Romanian. Um, And, but you know, you manage as cooks, you manage to get by, even if there's not someone there to translate, Uh, you manage to get by and uh, it it really cuts right through. Cause I, I, you know, you end up helping them roll out the dough or whatever it is. And then it's, then you just sit down and have lunch, you know? I know, it's a commonality that yeah. makes a very big difference. Well, Absolutely. I enjoyed uh, Chris Kimball's Simple. You know, I sort of did the unforgivable folded down pages. Oh, that's right. So, so, so it's okay. It's, it's a cookbook, and it's a gorgeous cookbook with a lot of wonderful recipes. Thank and you. I w- you too, and we'll talk soon. All right, take um, care. Bye, Chris. Christopher Kimball, Simple, Milk Street's latest book with wonderful recipes. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC Radio. Stay tuned because there's lots more ahead.